Welcome to the G3 Podcast. I'm Virgil Walker. I'm here with Dr. Josh Bice. Man, it's great to be with you, sir. Always good to be with you, Virgil. Good. I look forward to our conversation today. I think it's going to be one that's going to be incredibly helpful. And there's, there's a lot of things to think about as it relates to uh, what we're seeing in culture around intersectionality, around victimhood. Um, it's, it's crazy because as the election cycles begin to kind of, we turn the page on that, mm. we see that that language churn up. We're everywhere we turn. We're, you know, you, you've got different parties, Democrat and Republican, but but they're all looking right now, especially uh, those who are on the left, are looking for the black vote. Mm. Uh, and, and the way to curry that vote is to make sure that uh, that 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 blacks are identified as as victims. And here's how they've been victimized, and here's how they'll be victimized all the more unless you vote for ex candidate. Exactly. Right? So as we as we see that, I think it's important, you know, for us to think through these issues uh, as it relates to culture, definitely politics, but more importantly, uh, as we're ministry aimed and targeted at the church. Yeah. And as we watch these these issues enter the church, I think we we've got a responsibility to to speak up about it. And so as we begin the conversation, man, I'll turn some things over to you and let you kind of unpack for us. We're going to be talking about kind of victimology mm. and how it's had impact uh, even within evangelical circles. Yeah, even within evangelical circles is the statement, right? I mean, it's really sad when you think about social justice and you look at how social justice, again, that's a big tent term, umbrella, right? So sure. you have all sorts of all sorts of things that fall beneath that yep. that umbrella. Yep. But this agenda has gone through every sphere possible. Mm-hmm. So if you think about every single sphere, you think about the, the secular sphere, yep. you could just summarize and say secular sphere and then, of course, the religious sphere. Right. But in the secular sphere, you've seen it in the area of the corporate world, yep. the educational university system. Yep. I mean, in, in social justice has made inroads to all of these various different places yeah. and has been operating uh, not in the shadows anymore, no. but right out in the open, yeah. and they're they're advertising their agenda, and then it's being used as a tool not to unite, but always to divide, always for the purpose of deconstruction, mm-hmm. and we've seen that. But the sad reality is that it's also been operating now for years mm-hmm. within the religious sphere mm-hmm. across denominational lines. And you're seeing this idea of victimology replacing theology. Mm-hmm. And pastors now are no longer, you know, to, to be, you know, prized within church circles. Now we're seeing the need for sociologists mm-hmm. and for others to take the place of, of pastors. Yeah. And so the sad reality is, Virgil, when you think about the way that social justice has made the inroads, mm-hmm. we've seen this this elevated idea of of like you said intersectionality. Mm-hmm. So there's websites you can go to to search your you know intersectionality score, right. and but you're seeing this idea that was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw mm-hmm. back in 1989, mm-hmm. that's used for the purpose of doing what? Saying well, if you're a victim, mm-hmm. then you need to be you know you need to be treated differently. Mm-hmm. You deserve certain privileges mm-hmm. that are owed to you, right. and so how has the church responded to this? How has you know denominational groups responded to this? Even within evangelical circles, we're seeing that people are being given positions simply on the basis of not their resume, not their giftedness, not their capabilities in terms of uh, theological capabilities or whatever else. They're being given book deals mm-hmm. and positions in denominational circles or even in local church circles on the basis 
of their skin color. Yeah. I'll tell you a story. Recently, we had a, a, a family come into the life of our church, and they said they were coming from another church across town. This is what they said. We just started noticing that there was an outright agenda to promote people in the life of the church to positions of leadership on the basis of their skin color to be, you know, multi-ethnic church or to be, you know, reaching a a certain group in the community and and so on and so forth. And they were just really uncomfortable with it. And so they just felt like, you know, they needed to be in a church where the gospel was preached Mm -hmm. There was no agenda at play in terms of promoting people with a microphone so that visibly you could say you're you're trying to attract a certain group in the community. Right. And yet what they said in the in the interview process was as we look around our church, speaking about Praise Mill, mm-hmm. they said it just strikes us that there's no agenda that's at play, but we're seeing families mm-hmm. of all different ethnic groups coming into the life of this church. Right. Right. And so that really just sort of reminded me of the importance of this agenda that we're, you know, that we're witnessing at this present hour work its way through evangelical circles, seminaries, Bible colleges, local churches, and denominations, yeah. and it's really tragic. Yeah. Well, we saw that. I mean, here at G3, I mean, we, we were on the very front lines of, of dealing with the social justice movement, right? We had the statement on social justice in the gospel, uh, really laying down the foundations that of here's what we believe about these issues as we watch them come come to fore. There was initially this thing was social justice, you know, critical race theory. There's no such thing. Right. Well, nobody's really paying attention to right. that. And uh, you guys are you guys are chasing a boogeyman, right? Only to you know, less than two years, three years later. Have this be the the, the reason why uh, people are were were willing to leave the SBC? Right. Uh, they had made decisions about the SBC that they were going to leave because there wasn't an embrace yeah. of critical race theory. Yeah. Uh, you saw it in the culture, and you mentioned it. You you see this play out in in in, in, in social culture where you you, you had the Kataji Brown Jacksons of the world making the claims that you know she couldn't define a woman. Uh, she was brought in for the mere purpose of being black uh, to the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, all, all of those issues, those are things that, that I adamantly push back against. Mm-hmm. Uh, the level of melanin in my skin has nothing to do with my capabilities or incapabilities. That's right. Uh, everything that God's given me is what he's gifted me with, and, and I'm going to use those gifts to the glory of God. And so uh, the, the, the level of melanin in my skin is disconnected from that uh, that that particular situation. And my estimation is, if you give me the opportunity, I'm going to beat you regardless. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to yeah. do better than you. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to work harder. I, whatever whatever the requirement is for success, is that which we should meet. So you see it in the government realm with public policy uh, and the like, with 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 healthcare services, with everything from disaster preparedness. You had the you had the vice president of the United States making statements like uh, there were after an earthquake, there were specific areas of the country that were affected, but but black populations and people of color were affected more tragically. Yeah. So they were going to redirect funds into those particular areas. And you're thinking, what in the, how, how do you, that is absolutely bizarre. Yeah. Uh, again, public realm, government realm, uh, you see it in education. Fortunately, you know, we had the, the issue struck down uh, the, with the affirmative action struck down as consideration for entrance into school systems. Really, they need to just stretch that all the way out in the end of the, the public square and, and affect every single area. It, it's a, it, it's not beneficial for someone who happens to be black, who's worked their butt off to get somewhere uh, to get a job and to be thought of as less than 
because of public policies like this, regardless yeah. of the situation. Uh, so I absolutely reject those ideas and abhor them. And then you mentioned um, you mentioned uh, the sphere of, of work and employment. DEI organizations yeah. are everywhere. Uh, and, and they're just wrecking havoc throughout uh, the country. But to see all of that in the public square, we expect the world to be who they are. Uh, but to see it enter the church uh, with with the conversations uh, that that followed uh, what took place in 2018 and the like, it's been absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, it really has. And b- back in 2018, you know, you mentioned the social justice statement. Uh, before we ever met in Dallas, um, I, I tweeted out an article that I had written at the time. This was just before the Southern Baptist Convention met in June of 2018. And then we would eventually meet uh, later in June, like a, a couple of weeks later or a week later for the Dallas Statement meeting. But preceding that SBC annual meeting in June, I, I wrote an article and then tweeted it out about the SBC being at the intersection of intersectionality. Mm-hmm. And I was just sort of putting my finger on what I could sense at that time um, was a movement for the SBC to start embracing this ideology that had been coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, which, of course, was flowing right out of the cesspool of liberalism mm-hmm. and was an ideology that's a tool that divides. And so, um, again, uh, Russell Moore was was not pleased with that. And there was a specific professor, I've told the story before, that uh, was currently working and employed at an SBC school that tweets out my article and then suddenly had to retract it because Russell Moore contacts his provost and then had him you know, basically, you know, threatened right. as a result of right. that. Right. And so I knew at that moment we're at, we're really putting our finger on the nerve endings. Right. And so then we go into the, the, the meeting there in Dallas where we met for the purpose of the statement on social justice and the gospel would eventually then publish that statement and then try to help the church see these issues, which we, again, were pushed back against by the likes of Tim Keller and the machine within SBC Life and, of course, outside of the SBC as well, uh, within evangelical circles. We were just really resisted because of that. Now, the purpose of that statement was not to create controversy. On the contrary, it was to shine light on these very issues. Absolutely. But the sad reality is, even to this very day, uh, although lots of people, by the by, the grace of God, have come to see this agenda for what it is. Right. You know, you have right. Resolution Nine right. that was a disaster yep. in 2019, yep. and then of course you have the ongoing controversies that continue to plague the SBC. Yep. But this idea of victimology is still very much alive and well within evangelical circles, even within the Southern Baptist Convention, yeah. and we're seeing it yes. just recently, Virgil, at the 2023. Louisiana Baptist State Convention, Will Hall, who directs the Louisiana Baptist Convention Office of Public Policy, made a statement on the platform at the uh, Louisiana Baptist State Convention where he was opposing the issue of the idea that women could actually be prosecuted for abortion. So any type of policy or resolution that would be adopted by the Louisiana Baptist State Convention or that any law that could be put in place that could result in the absolute 
or the full abolition of abortion, but then also include the opportunity for women to be prosecuted, prosecuted. for right. aborting their babies, which, by the way, is is murder. Yes. Then this is what he states. He states that that women are actually victims in the beginning when they get pregnant, and then they're victims a second time when they actually are pushed to actually get an abortion. And it's striking. I just want to play this clip. It's just a a few minutes long, but listen to what uh, Will Hall states in this clip. Just because of that statement in the proposed resolution, it would lead actually to more abortions in this state than by what we have been attempting to do in the legislature and what we have accomplished in the legislature. They rightfully give the exception for women who are under duress uh, because research shows that 70% of women have either been coerced or regret or otherwise pressured into an abortion. 70%. The others, we know from research, all women who are uh, in the first trimester are are undergoing tremendous hormonal changes that have a severe impact on their decision-making abilities. And it has been legal precedent for over 100 years in this state that we don't treat the woman as a victim, but the perpetrators. And in this case, we have Planned Parenthood is a perpetrator. Aid to Access is a perpetrator. Some of the school systems are perpetrators. Some of our politicians are perpetrators. The, the, the male who first convinces a young woman to give up, young woman to give up her purity makes her a victim. And then when she gets pregnant and he demands that she has an abortion, get rid of it or me, and she has abortion and she destroys that gift of life that have given her, she's a victim a second time. And we, in, leg- in the legis- and work in the legislature, we have never considered the woman as the criminal but as the victim. And we need to consider, we need to continue that posture now. I don't- now, I'm just going to stop the the... The clip here, Virgil. Interestingly enough, not long ago in the state of Louisiana, there was a bill that was put forward that would result in the complete abolition of abortion. And it was actually gaining the support and would have passed. But at the 11th hour, the interesting thing about all of that was at the 11th hour, it was, you know, these these major organizations you know, right-to-life organizations, national right-to-life organizations, not the state level. You know, you have different branches within this group of pro-life organizations, but the National Right-to-Life Organization writes letters to the lawmakers signed by 70 other pro-life, quote-unquote, pro-life organizations that opposed the legislation on the basis that it would actually criminalize women who got an abortion. And so the idea was we can't stand for this quote-unquote policy because of the fact that it's going to criminalize uh, women. Now, that's the same exact thing that this man is actually stating as he stands on a platform in Baptist life, in in Baptist circles Mm -hmm. at the Louisiana Baptist State Convention, suggesting that we can't support these policies that are going to result in prosecuting women because they are actual victims. 
This is a tragedy. It's a tragedy. I think what you see here is uh, you mentioned initially as we began the the large umbrella of social justice and what falls underneath it. We talked about the intersectionality piece, how it's infected culture. Uh, We talked about how even the church has begun to be impacted. I would bet money that if this man were asked, you know, is is, is he woke? Is he uh, is is he connected with social justice? He said, absolutely not. Yeah. But he's not he doesn't even realize how he's imbibed social justice, how he's imbibed leftist ideas with this kind of language, uh, you know, intersectionality, Kimberly Crenshaw, all of that's a part of that with the idea that every woman is a victim. And, and, and certainly there, there are women who, who have, you know, had situations thrust upon them. Um, but at the same time, there's still a culpability that, that takes place that they've got to think through. I love the idea that he's he's imploring um, he's imploring legal precedent and and rather than what scripture says. Yeah. Right. There's a there's a there's a thought there. He said, well, legal precedent for 100 years. Or let's open our Bible and see what the Bible has to right, say right. Uh, about that, because at the point at which she uh, this woman, apart from repentance and faith in Christ, meets her maker. Yeah. She will be held accountable for that sure. death. And yeah. so we need to think through uh, those pieces. Those are all things to think about through this that I think we're not thinking about. And again, not even recognizing how social justice, leftist ideology, um, you know, sociocultural Marxism has infected this man who stands on this very platform mm-hmm. to say what he says. Yes, yeah, so we need to give people a free pass right. because of the fact that they have been victimized. Right. And, and, and because of their victimology status, mm-hmm. then obviously we need to give them some sort of a, you know, a, a safe space to operate and to be, you know, withheld from prosecution as a result of that. Again, there's so much that could be unpacked here. Uh, We hold to, in fact, I know both of us do, but interestingly enough, you asked me that question at the recent uh, G3 National Conference. And, you know, a lot of people in, in, in that conference, you know, applauded when I gave an answer. I don't do it for applause. I would prefer them not to applaud. Um, But the fact of the matter is simply this, um, when I've come out and embraced this position of a full abolitionist position on abortion, mm-hmm. I have been I have been you know resisted mm-hmm. in my positions, mm-hmm. and and people have have opposed my position, even in the state of Georgia and elsewhere, in evangelical circles, mm-hmm. pro life organizations have resisted my position. Mm-hmm because of the very statements that I've made even at the at the recent national conference. Yeah, yeah. And and I find that to be very tragic mm-hmm. because either we're fighting for the full abolition of abortion yeah. and the saving of all babies yes. or we're just going to continue to just hold a position that's going to get us halfway there. Right. And then we can sort of build these big massive you know, pro-life organizations and keep all of these positions and and hire all these staff members and pay all of these salaries and keep all of this money funneling into the quote-unquote pro-life movement, mm-hmm. or we can just look at our our lawmakers in the eye and say we demand that every single life be protected yeah. and that there be equal justice for all, Absolutely. not for some. Absolutely. But for all, Absolutely. including the preborn. Absolutely. Absolutely. When you think about this, I, I think about the, the statement that he made that you know, 70% are, are victims of some kind or what have you. I'm, I'm thinking he, there's no way in the world 
that he, he has ever spent time in the front of an abortion mill. That's exactly right. There's no, there, there's no way that's possible yeah. because you've spent time there. I've spent time there. We watch those women go in and beg and plead, offering every resource possible mm-hmm. up into adoption, mm-hmm. uh, places to stay. That we would food, pay for the adoption. That we would pay for food, housing, you know, whatever is necessary to keep them from murdering their baby. And and more times than not, those women will, will will you know give you the number one you know the bird or or or, or, or curse you out or yeah. they the vast majority of them know what they're doing. In yeah. fact, it was rare for the years I spent in front of an abortion. It was rare uh, that I would see what what would be what I could characterize as a boyfriend dropping a young girl off and telling her go get that done and I'll be back. Mm-hmm. Of of the of the years I spent there. I remember that happening one time. Mm-hmm. One time out of all of those times. Now again, I don't know every circumstance, every situation. Uh but any any woman uh, the, the idea the, the the feminist idea that women are absolved of of any form of sin or any culpability or any accountability. Um, unfortunately, we, we've we've imbibed that in, at at the at the highest levels, uh, even within evangelicalism. Yes, we have. Uh, yes, we have. In fact, uh, recently, a brother sent me a picture of a, or in fact, I think he published it on social media, and I saw it there. But it was uh, an SUV sitting in front of an abortion mill, where this woman had gotten out of this SUV and gone in to murder her baby, and on the back of that SUV was Philippians four thirteen. Ah. It's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. And, and and again, another another lie that has been embraced is this idea that you know, uh, black people um, have been victimized uh, in our culture, right. and so you know, Planned Parenthood will gladly murder right. and offer services to murder as many black babies as possible while hanging Black Lives Matter signs on the side of their building. Right. Or or the idea even in, in, in black circles that because there's a higher mortality rate in the black community mm-hmm. uh, with, as it pertains to giving birth to babies, right. that the solution for that is to murder babies. Yeah. That's absolutely, I mean, the logic doesn't work. It doesn't even work. (laughs) That logic doesn't logic. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It just doesn't make any sense. But that's what, that's what's being told. Those are the kinds of things that are being said. And we've, we absolutely have to reject that. But again, it's, it's a, it's a version of this victimology, this, and they, it takes on very different forms. Uh, but we have to be cognizant of it and then push back against we it. We do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Man, as, as we begin to wrap things up for this conversation, man, I want to remind you all of a, of a number of events where you'll be able to connect with us. You'll want to join us January 17th and 18th for the Expository Preaching Workshop. It'll be a fantastic time where pastors and church leaders, especially those who are preparing lessons and messages, can gather, get together, and really go through the work of a particular text, exegeting the text, doing the homework behind it, really researching it and then having other men who critique your work as as challenging or as uncomfortable as as that might be it's the best way uh, to sharpen you i I do believe that our expository preaching workshops are unlike anything else that's out there Uh, folks come away with something that they can actually use in the pulpit as as they leave that space so we're asking for you to join us january 17th and 18th they're in newport ritchie florida it's going to be a fantastic time you can get on our website at g3men.org uh, and register for that. Uh, in addition, we've got the Reformation Conference, May 9th through the 11th. Uh, there in South Lake, Texas. I just came back from the campus there at Countryside Bible. Amazing space, amazing place. We're going to have some fantastic uh, preachers who are going to be joining us. You'll want to be a part of that. Uh, in fact, there, there'll, there'll be opportunities for discounts and things like that. Get on the website as soon as you can. Go to g 3 Men. 
org to register and join us. It's limited seating, so you'll definitely want to participate. I think we've got about 1,500 seats or so, yeah. somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. So uh, you'll definitely want to hurry up and, 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 uh, and join us for that. Josh, any last words, anything that I need to cover, any ground I need to cover? Yeah, that I just want to encourage everyone, you know, in, in terms of our workshops, I and mean, we're going to be releasing information on some, you know, workshops soon for women. Oh, so yeah. be looking yep. for those announcements as well, as well as our March uh, 19th through the 20th workshop here at Praise, Praise Mill, Mill. Yep. which is worship a workshop. worship workshop. Again, it's not for the music guy. Right. Uh, it is for pastors. Yeah. And it's for us to learn why it is that we shape our worship service in the way that we shape our worship service and to be able to just think through, spend a couple of days with other brothers, uh, sharpening ourselves and challenging ourselves to think critically and biblically about how we approach the worship service on on a week-to-week basis, critically important there. But a final word just in terms of this conversation, Virgil, is that as we think about the social justice movement and how it has impacted and affected the local church, we need to, as Christians, stand opposed to this. We need to raise our children and our grandchildren not to be looking for some sort of victim status or a victim card or a victim privilege that would allow us to climb the ladder in our culture. We need to raise our sons and our daughters to actually get out of bed every day and to work hard for the glory of God and then allow for the Lord to open up doors for them to advance in, you know, the secular sphere or even within the sphere of, you know, religious circles or the local church as well. And so we need to resist this idea of victimology. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. As we wrap up here, want to encourage you, if you want to stay connected to us, definitely download the G3 app. Tons of material, lots of information there for you as well. Josh mentioned uh, the things that we're going to be doing for women. Our expository teaching workshops are available for women, and it's going to be great. If you want to know about that uh, and and get uh, up to speed on those kinds of things, resources that we have, download the app, open up the notifications, and we'll be sure to let you know what we've got going on. With that said, definitely like, subscribe, share uh, this particular episode, and join us next time for the G3 Podcast.